0: Nor can you separate marriage from the priesthood if you understand what marriage truly is. And to understand there's no... God God does not desire us to divorce priesthood from marriage or marriage from the priesthood. Because Jesus is the priest, and Jesus married the church. So I myself as a priest, when I was ordained, I lay on the cathedral floor face down, giving my life, my time... My energy, my resources—all these things—I'm giving up all of that for my bride, which is the church, right? And just as a husband and wife give themselves to each other, a priest is an extension in time of Jesus and His love for His bride, the church. So when you see a priest, just like a religious sister, a nun, or a religious sister, they don't—they don't marry. Why? Because they marry Christ. As women, the femininity. Their way of giving themselves as gift is marrying Christ as their bridegroom. As a priest, we marry the church as Jesus married the church. So when you see priests or nuns, it should remind you of the goal of your marriages or the goal of your life, which is what? What's going on in heaven right now? Christ is one with who? His bride, the church. And the church is one with Christ. There is no... There's perfect union in heaven right now between Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride. So when you see a priest and a nun, we're kind of meant to be signs on earth to you that your marriage is meant to be what? Heaven on earth. It's meant to be the perfect union of Christ, the bridegroom, with his bride, the church, as every bride and groom want to be joy-filled, satisfied, um, fulfilled, and just truly joyful, joyful marriages. Um, for that to happen, we have to surrender to the plan that God has for marriage, and the God plan that God has stamped into our bodies as male and female. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the reason I wrote this up here, gravity. This is a quote from Einstein, "Gravity is not the responsible, uh, it's not responsible for people's falling in love." And he's trying to make the point there's something more than the natural world. There's something more to the human person than just material uh, uh, properties, okay? Visible properties. We have an invisible part of us too, called our souls, okay? And so, if you look up here, um, all of these things, obviously, there's the there's the spiritual and the natural, the God and man. There's this sense of faith and reason, theology, science. There's this connection. That our souls and our bodies, our bodies connected to our soul and our souls connected to our body. Where we, a human person is a body-soul composite. That means we are one. If you separate the body from the soul, you have death, okay? And actually, when we die and our souls leave our bodies, that wasn't God's original plan. That's why when you die, your soul leaves your body. Humans are not in a state of completeness when you leave your body. We believe in the church and in our faith that we will receive a resurrected body. Jesus, remember when he died and he rose, he had a glorified body. He walked through the wall. He still ate food. Remember, he ate fish on the shore with the apostles after the resurrection. So he still ate, but he can move through material objects. You know, sometimes in the secular world we say ghosts, right? But we're talking about the glorified body. Okay, and when Jesus came out of the tomb, what his wounds were still visible. He left. Every part of him was healed and perfected except his wounds. He had five wounds that were filled now with light and glory. Jesus' wounds show his love for us. Wounds in a marriage show the love for the other. You know, priesthood wounds, our wounds show vulnerability. Our wounds show need for others. Our wounds show that we're not going to stop loving no matter what Even if we see Jesus here on the cross, the cross, the mystics and saints call the cross the wedding bed. This is where Jesus gave his life for his bride on the church. He gave his life on the wedding bed of the cross. He laid his life down, loving her, totally freely, faithfully, fruitfully. gave everything for her, for us, okay? So this is a quote from the Catechism. And it's kind of starting to allude to the whole idea of we can sense in the visible world something of the invisible we can sense the order that God has put in the created beauty of our world it says here um, it says you know they, they call forth the admiration of scholars the beauty of creation reflects the infinite beauty of the creator and ought to be inspired with respect and submission of the man's intellect. So this harmony between the visible and the invisible, between the body and the soul. Because what does sin do? It causes discord, division, confusion. Sin resulted in death. And what is death? The body and soul separate, okay? Divorce, the, the divorce of the body from the soul. And when we divorce the created world from the creator, we got problems, because we start being selfish and materialistic Consumeristic to the point where we destroyed the created world because of self-pleasure or some form of wanting to fill a void in us. Because what's the closest thing we have to God? When we look at our created world, what's the closest thing that we have to God? It's the person. We are made in His image and likeness. And I would say the closest thing to God in this room right now that I can see is that little baby right there, right? And so children... Children exude a freedom. Why aren't kids free? Because they believe in love. They haven't been hurt yet. They still believe in love. We get messed up as we get older. (laughs) And then at the end of our life, most of the time, we have to become like children again, totally dependent because we can't even sometimes clean ourselves anymore. You know, we have to be vulnerable again, just like a child. So it's interesting how God brings us from childhood we grow older, we don't have to get messed up, but most of us and all of us do, right? We get messed up a bit, because what do we do? We digest lies. The engine doesn't work right. We have stress and anxiety, which are really spiritual problems. They're not physical realities. they're more spiritual. They're manifest in the body. You know, if I get stressed, for example, I carry it right up to my chest here, and the top of my back, I, I feel tight. That's, that's my spirit dealing with lies, that I have to do it. I'm, I have to be independent, I have to, I have to fix it, I have to figure it out, I, 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 always say, sin has an I in it, S-I-N, I, when anything's about I, 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 and there's no God involved, again, divorcing the world we have from God, we have confusion, we have chaos, we have, um, discord, right, division, okay, so, there's another, just brief quote, um, God speaks to man through the physical creation, the material cosmos is presented to man's intellect, intelligence, that he can read the traces of its creator: light and darkness, wind and fire, water, earth, trees, tree, the fruit speak of God and symbolize both his greatness and his nearness. So God is so close to us. God is right in my body. He's in every man and woman's body. He created us. To be body creatures, embodied spirits. We are embodied spirits. Angels are spirits. Animals have bodies. Angels have spirits. Animals have bodies. Humans, what I heard once called, we are angels. We are angels. We are a cross between the angelic realm and the animal world. We are, like the animals, we have a body. And like the angels, we have a spirit. So we're angels, okay? We have a a link between the body and the soul, the spiritual and the visible, the natural and the supernatural. Okay, theology of the body. John Paul II wrote 129 Wednesday audiences on the. Teaching on human embodiment, human sexuality, and the meaning of what it means to be male and female, and understanding the beautiful richness of this. And if you look at that, you can see the, the natural and the supernatural. You know, nature and, and grace. Um, you have theology, which is the study of God. How do we study God? Through the created world. What's the closest thing in the created world to God? The human person. So through our bodies, we can learn about God. And this is what is amazing about all of you. You all can experience God deeply, and intimately, through the body. Why is a man attracted to a woman? Why is a woman attracted to a man? Because God put in us a longing to be in heaven. What's going on in heaven? The bridegroom and bride are one. When a man longs for a woman and a woman for a man, that longing, that desire is the beginning of prayer. We're longing for communion, holy communion. We, sounds familiar, right? At Mass, we have the holy communion. What's going on at Mass? Who do we receive at Mass? The bridegroom. Who receives the bridegroom at Mass? The church is the bride. At every Mass, the bride comes up the aisle. Just like in a wedding, the bride comes down the aisle, and the bridegroom is there to receive her. And the two there stand in the front. That's why... Um, Theology of the body is the the, the study of God through the, uh, precisely through the differences of sexual complementarity between male and female, we can learn so much about God, not just physically, but the inner workings of the man, the masculinity, and how he lives that out through his body, and how the woman lives out through her body femininity. It's it's a song of praise that God has created, and he's made us all here the crown of his created world. This world he created, think about this. In Genesis, in the book of Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, first three chapters, read the first three chapters of Genesis, they're so important, okay? But first chapter of Genesis, what happens? God creates the world, right? What does he do? He builds a big house. He puts grass down. What's the grass or the carpet for the house? The grass is the carpet. What's the lights? Look at this building. We have we have a floor. The floor is the grass out in the cosmos and that world and on planet Earth. The lights in the sky, sun, moon, and stars. God then goes what? He gives us big swimming pools, the oceans, the lakes. God gives us pets, he creates all the animals. God does landscaping, the shrubs, and the trees, and the many various beauties of the world and all of the vast arrangements of his design. God built a big house. And what's the last thing God did? He put Adam and Eve in the house. To do what? To glorify him. To love him. To praise him. Aristotle says that friendship is not two people facing each other. Friendship is two people facing the same direction. In a marriage, there's a point in your marriage where you turn from facing each other to facing the same direction. It's kind of like moving from infatuation to we're on a mission together as husband and wife. When a couple turns from face to face to we're all facing the same direction now as husband and wife, we're facing the same direction. When you're facing the same direction as your spouse, then that means you have entered a new level of maturity in your marriage and now you're on a mission together, single-minded, single-hearted, devoted to glorifying God through your vocation of marriage, through your body as man, through your body as woman. Together you glorify God. You live the mass. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. The mass, the Eucharist, the priesthood, marriage, husband and wife in this cosmic temple that God creates, the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of the created array. He makes us, every man in every house is a little priest in the church. What's the church? The domestic church is your homes. And the husband in that house is meant to be the priest who offers sacrifice and, does, and lays his life down for the church who is his bride, his wife. As a priest, think about it. How do I have kids? I have spiritual training called Father Michael, Father Mark, right? Why do you call me Father? Because I bring, just as a husband and wife bring children into the natural world, I as a priest bring children into the supernatural world of grace through baptism. Baptism is the birthday of the Spirit of God in a soul. Your baptismal day is so important because that's the day grace began in your soul, and actually, the indwelling presence of God in that baby. How do I feed my kids? You guys feed your kids. You put food on the table. How do I feed my kids at mass and give them the body and blood of Christ? We feed them with spiritual food. You guys get fed by the priest as spiritual food. And who we often will call church Mother Church. Mother Church. When I'm at mass, when I'm at church, I'm giving, I'm giving my life for my bride, the church. How do I clean my kids? You guys wash your kids, clean them up, right? How do we clean our kids as priests as spiritual fathers? confession. Washing you off, keeping you clean, getting you ready for home, because we want to get everyone home. Home to our homeland, our ultimate destiny, heaven, right? And so you think of these things in the parallel between marriage and family life and the priesthood and how the church is designed by God and all of these beautiful connections that are made. So theology of the body, studying God through our bodies. Adam and Eve, the creation of Adam and Eve. As I said, The body reveals the mystery of God. This is what marriage is about. Marriage is meant to reveal God. And I don't think we always understand this because it's so close, it's right under our nose, that we sometimes don't realize how everyone in here, if you've experienced the desire to give yourself as gift to another, you experienced God because God made you to experience Jesus longs to enter the church. Jesus longs as the bridegroom to give himself and enter into his church. Husbands and wives, husband gives himself, again, to the, to the pure, all things are pure. Don't hear this as a twisted idea, but husbands enter the wife. The, the husband enters into communion with his wife. And, and the, the, the woman is meant to be what? The Holy of Holies. Her womb is the Holy of Holies. Jesus comes into the church in, in baptism. I don't know if you guys know this ritual, but in the Saturday Easter vigil on Easter of Holy Week, the priest places the candle, the Easter candle. This is an ancient tradition, clear back in the beginning of the early church. The Easter candle is held and lit. And three times that Easter candle is put into the holy water font. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That imagery, it's very holy and sacred, is Christ is divinely impregnating his church. The baptismal font is the womb of the church. You and I were born from the womb of the church, which is the baptismal font. Every time you come into church, you're touching your, your mother's womb. Church is your is your mother. The baptismal font is our mother, our spiritual mother, the church's womb. And you touch her womb and you remind yourself where you came from. I came from love in the name of the Father. You bless yourselves with that holy water. At the end of this night, I'm gonna have your kids, they're gonna all get holy water bottles, and they're gonna come up to you at the end of the night after we do a few songs. And I'm gonna have your kids put the sign of the cross on your forehead. You're gonna let your little kids bless you and remind you. Who you are, you're all called to be little children, trusting in this profound mystery of God stamped right into our bodies. Is this, the, is this what you see when you're waiting at the checkout counter in all the magazines on the rack? I don't think so. Oh, wow. Ten ways to live your marriage in a way that will glorify God and, and uh, help you live heaven on earth. No. What you see at the checkout counter is basically ten ways of how to have good sex and then What? How to basically say, you're giving you the recipe to destroy your marriage and your life forever by being selfish, right? But the church has got so much planned for us. So the body reveals this great mystery. Here's a quote from the Theology of the Body that John Paul II wrote. The body, in fact, and only the body, is capable of making visible what was invisible. What is invisible? The spiritual and the divine. It has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world, the mystery hidden from eternity in God, thus to be a sign of it. What does that mean? It means that our bodies from the very beginning. Did you ever ask yourself, um, men, women, looking in a mirror, why did God make my body this way? Why did he make me? man? What's it mean to be a man? What's it mean to be a woman? Why did God make our lines and curves like he did as male and female? Did you ever ask that question? Very simple thing. I've never thought of that. But it's an important question. Because our bodies are capable of making visible what? What is invisible? What's invisible? Heaven. What's going on in heaven? Jesus, the bridegroom, is loving and perfectly in communion with his bride the church. In heaven, Imaged on earth through husband and wife, giving themselves to each other as Jesus gave himself to the church A lot of times when I do weddings, after I have the couple say their vows, I'll have them hold a crucifix And I'll put my priestly stole over their hands as they hold the crucifix And I bless the crucifix And I basically explain to them, if you let go of the cross in your marriage, you let go of love Because this is what marriage is about. It's true commitment to sacrifice and love. And isn't it give a lot of hope to know that I will be with you and to love and to honor you all the days of my life. That's a radical statement. And as I tell couples at weddings that I celebrate with them, it's scary. Because you know that I know and we know we're foolish to think It's not gonna involve a lot of difficulties and challenges, just as the priesthood does. There's challenges, but we don't give up on love. So heaven comes to earth, when man and woman cooperate with God, expressing through their bodies what God designed them for, which is to make his love visible on earth. What is God's love? God's love came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Did you ever ask why God became man and not a woman? Not because men are better than women or anything like that, because God wanted to be a gift to his bride, the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. A lot of people don't like to hear that, wives be submissive to your husbands. Who are you talking You know, sounds like Paul's a sexist, you know? I'm not gonna be submissive to my husband. But if husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, women, tell me if I'm wrong, I don't understand, but tell me if I'm wrong. Women, would you love to be under the mission? Because submission means to be under the mission of. Women, would you love to be under the mission of men that will love you as Christ loved his church? Because this is how he did it. He died for her. He died for her. He laid his life down for her. And this is the wedding vows being lived out in the flesh. Anyone can say vows, but you have to put feet to your words. Walking your wedding vows out is a whole other thing. That's why we get married in the church and say, God help us. We need power from on high to live these wedding vows we're we're making today. Okay? Okay? So, the flesh is the hinge of salvation. We believe in God who is creator of the flesh. We believe in the word made flesh in order to redeem the flesh. We believe in the resurrection of the flesh, the fulfillment both the creation the the redemption of the flesh. By the way, CCC means Catholic, catechism of the Catholic Church. So, look how many times the word flesh is used up there. The body. The body in it alone. Our bodies, our lines, our curves, our complementarity as husband, as male and female. What? It speaks a language. Your body speak a language of heaven. From heaven. That's what God came to correct our vision. Men, Do you see the woman's body as church, as temple? Ladies, do you see the men in your life as Christ? Because if we don't, that's because right now you all look blurry to me, because my vision is blurry. Sin blurred our vision. We don't know why we want what we want. We don't know why we have these cravings, and these longings, and these desires in us. And the devil's quick to see that we're confused and we're blurry. And we go just running and grabbing at all of these things, as we've shared many times with you, the challenge of our culture with pornography, all of the promiscuity, and all of the world and its way of trying to answer the heart, the human heart's longings, cravings. You know, look, listen, next time you listen to a song on the radio, I guarantee you there's something in it about the longings, the desires, the cravings of the human heart, something about love. Most songs are all somewhere rotating around. Every advertisement, every ad, every commercial you watch on TV, you never see the beard commercials? There's always pretty girls on the beard commercials, right? Or there's always, you watch commercials, just just maybe this week, pay attention to commercials, just watch the advertisements are appealing to our desire for communion, for relationship, okay? God made us for marriage. Some of priests aren't called to marriage. We are called to marriage. If a man says, I don't feel like I'm called to marriage, he should never be a priest. Because a healthy priest is one who's called to marry the church. Spiritual fatherhood, right? Okay, so the flesh is, as it says, the flesh is the hinge of salvation. If we don't understand our bodies and why God gave us a male and female body and what we're all about, meaning we're called to communion, we're called to marriage. Called to be one with Christ God became man to marry us God became man to marry us To marry the church That's the whole point, purpose Of his coming into the world To marry us The mass is the wedding of Jesus The mass is the nuptial love Of Christ and the church The two becoming one flesh Literally, at Holy Communion You and God become one flesh At Communion time Okay? Um The Body Speaks, I've been talking a lot about this, the language of our bodies. The language of our bodies and the desires within our bodies. Again, Christ in the church. This is what marriage is about. Christ in the church, okay? And keep that in your mind. Just, Just keep thinking about that. Think about that. Guys, next time you see a beautiful woman, your wife, right? Next time you see a beautiful woman, or ladies, next time you see a man that you're attracted to or drawn to, I want you to think about, why am I drawn and attracted? Because it's Christ's plan for you. It's his plan. He gave us a desire to experience heaven on earth through our bodies, through our desires. Again, back to that simple, beautiful theme. Okay. This is from the Theology of the Body "To Marriage is the most ancient revelation manifestation of the plan of God in the created world with the definitive revelation and manifestation. The revelation that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, conferring on his, on his redemptive love a spousal character and meaning. How indispensable is a thorough knowledge of the meaning of the body and its masculinity and femininity along the way of this vocation, the precise awareness of the nuptial meaning of the body. Again, the nuptial meaning of the body, What? To reveal Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. Okay, that's stamped in us. Now these few terms here, original nakedness. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were naked without shame. They were naked without shame. Why were they naked without shame? Because Adam looked at Eve as a gift. Eve looked at Adam as a you know, again, the closest example we have to this is the little kids. How many of you, I'm sure your own kids, or you've been to a house where some little kids comes running out with his clothes off and he doesn't even care, or she doesn't even care, right? Why are kids like that? Because they're naked without shame in some sense. They're, they, they believe in love. They don't ever think anyone would look at them with less than perfect love. These little kids, when they come in here, they don't, they don't even think about someone questioning how awesome they are and their beauty and their goodness they, they, they believe it, it's a given for them. But as I said, as they get a little older, sadly, they get hurt and betrayed and used. The opposite of love is using someone. When we use our wife, we use our husband, we use people. And when we start treating people like utility, what, 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 are, you, what are you gonna give me? In a marriage, it's like, what are you gonna give me? Again, that's face-to-face rather than, no, we're on a mission together, sweetheart, we're going this way. We're going together to the cross. We're taking up the cross together. We're going to win our children's soul for heaven together. We're going to help each other get to heaven together. When she falls down, he picks her up. When he falls down, she picks him up. Right? It's it's working together, facing the same direction. So this original nakedness has to do with the inner gaze of the man at the woman and the woman's gaze at the man from within. Original nakedness isn't just physical nakedness, it's vulnerability in the heart. How many married couples here, or how many of you, and myself included at times, right? This whole idea of how are we vulnerable with each other? This is one of the frustrations often in marriage, right? It builds up, it builds up, and we're passive aggressive, and we're not opening our hearts. We're tired after work, we're just drained. And we don't want to talk. We just want to watch TV. We want to be a couch potato. We want to veg. We want to whatever. And what happens is is we start thinking things that aren't always true. We start projecting things on each other. And then it gets harder and colder and harder and colder and harder and colder. Because we've lost this original nakedness. And we're isolating our hearts. We're made for others. We're made for communion. So original nakedness is that. Original experience that Adam and Eve had of their gaze. But notice what happened when they sinned, they covered themselves. So all of us in here wearing clothes, which we all are, right? We're all wearing clothes. Did you know that's not the norm? (laughs) I'm not promoting new beaches or anything. But wearing clothes. We wear clothes because of, of a few reasons. There's a positive and negative. You know, the negative is, is we we ashamed. We know we've done wrong. And we know that if we weren't wearing clothes, people would use each other. We, we're, we're weak. We use each other's bodies for things other than what God intended them. Okay? We hurt each other. We, we, we objectify. We treat people as objects rather than persons. We're weak, we're sinners, okay? And, and and the positive dimension of shame is this. When someone busts into the bathroom and you just got out of the shower by accident, someone opens the door or wherever you're at, what do you do? You cover yourself. Do you know why you cover yourself? Because it's, a, it's almost a reaction of a deep part of you you don't even maybe aware of. You're covering your body because your body is so good that you don't want anyone to look on it with less than perfect love. You don't even realize you're doing it. God put it so deep in you that when someone sees your body and you cover it, you're in shame you cover it because you're afraid that your body will be utilized or used or treated with less than what God intended it to be. So deeper than your even mind even thinks, you're, you know in your spirit that you're so good that nobody can look upon That's meant for only certain experiences in spousal love. The body is so holy. And isn't it interesting that our culture and our world is so confused but so drawn to the body? If you want to know what's the holiest thing in our world, look at what's most attacked and defamed and desecrated in the world. And I would say, anyone disagree. I would say it's sex. It's the body. Why? Because it's the most holy. The devil knows. If you were an enemy of God and you knew that our sexuality as male and female was what would lead a soul to heaven, if they understood their bodies was a taste of heaven on earth, why is Marital love so good and so pleasurable? Because God made it to foretaste heaven. Heaven and earth kiss at every mass. Husband, wife, bride, groom, bride, Jesus Church on earth. It's stamped into our masculinity and femininity. And the devil knows it. But he knows we're also walking around with our vision uncorrected. And we need to go to the divine optometrist and say, Jesus, I can't see. I'm using people. I'm using myself. Correct my vision. Once I have my vision corrected, I'm like, wow. Wow. Look how beautiful she is. Look how beautiful! Look how amazing God made her. You know, one thing I take tell the, the men in the uh, confessional when you see a beautiful woman and you know lustful thoughts, whatever. I say, well, and you might have heard this before. I say, guys, just say, God, darn, He did a good job with that girl. <laughs> I mean, it's a way of bringing God into your desire. Don't be afraid of it, like. Don't be afraid of your desires. Your desires are given to you by God, but they need to be guided and ordered. What do you see? You see heaven. You see a longing for Jesus in you, longing for his church. When you see that woman in your drawn, it's Jesus longing for the church. It's not just a desire. Who am I going to let define me? The world's version of Life, love, and marriage, and sexuality? Or am I gonna let God and his church lead and guide my beautiful, amazing body and guide us to the glory of heaven by the experience we have every day? Every day, you guys, we can experience God through our bodies. It's amazing, okay? So, original nakedness, original solitude. Just real briefly, original solitude is, John Paul II wrote all this stuff, I'm just giving his thoughts. Original solitude is when Adam named the animals And he realized he wasn't an animal. He realized animals are different than man. Adam realized he was alone in the world with no one like him. And that's a problem because we're not made to be alone. So what does God do? God first wanted Adam to realize he was different and that he was alone. Because when you're alone, you start to realize your longing others. Tasting your desire for communion. So what did God do? He put Adam asleep. Anyone ever had a bad day? You just want to sleep it off, right? Adam couldn't find a helpmate. He couldn't find a spouse. He looked and he searched and he looked and he searched. And Adam got heart sick. He's like, oh God, these animals are great. I like my pets, but they're just not doing this for me. I want more than a pet. I want someone I can talk to and sit down with and give my heart to and trust my heart to as a man. I want a lovely woman. He said woman because he didn't know yet. So he went to sleep and God took from the side of the man meaning closest to his heart he took from his side and he formed out of the ground this beautiful gift called the woman. And he gave Adam the woman. He brought her to him and says and then it says Adam looked at her and said and I do this sometimes with Jeff. He said whoa man get it, woman. <laughs> Adam said, woman, whoa, whoa, he's like, this is woman, at last, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, thank you, God, for this woman. And it said, the two, that's why, and then the next verse is, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and joins to his wife, the two become one. That's that scripture in Genesis for marriage, okay? Okay. So, original solitude is important for all of us. How many of us have felt alone, right? We felt not connected. We felt disconnected. We felt like we're alone in the world. And God wants to bring original unity to us. He wants to help us to experience being in communion. And so he gives us the gift of marriage and family. Okay? And communion with persons, communion of persons. What is a communion of persons? It's simply husband, wife, Two become one and most likely There's three or four or five You have kids right So you have the father son and spirit Three persons but one God husband wife Kids one family Numerous persons So husband wife and kids On earth image the trinity Which is father son and spirit and One God three persons One family numerous persons God made us to image on earth Again what's going on in heaven the devil knows this, but do we? And this is why it's so important, Winterson. Marriage is a sacrament. What's a sacrament? An outward sign that communicates an invisible reality, which is what? Heaven. Heaven and earth. Through our bodies, through our life together. Okay, sexual complimentary, I talked all about that. I'm going to kind of move through that. This couple here, I was looking. Some of you might have heard of this couple, but Alexander and Jeanette, they were married in their 40s and dated since they were eight. (laughs) And um, they died exactly at the same time in in the bed where she was dying. She was really sick. He was sick. I can't remember one of them. Where it says, here, wait for me. I'll be there soon, Jeanette told Alexander when he passed away. And they literally died almost the same breath. It's, It's an amazing story. If you ever had a chance to, It's very beautiful, powerful. But my point is, is there they are married 75 years. Obviously, they passed now, but that's 75 years of marriage, 75 years. This is the goal, guys, right here. I love this quote. Look back here. Wait for me, I'll be there soon. That's Jeanette telling her husband Alexander when he passed. I'll be there soon. Wait for me. They believed that earth was just a transition. They believe that the visible world wasn't it. It's not over here. This is training camp. It's not game day. We're on training right now. We're all in training. We're learning to love through our bodies as men and through our bodies as women. And marriage is really a protection of this intimate love that God planned to reveal to the world heaven on earth through the gift of marriage, okay? There's another couple here I found, this is the, this couple is the oldest uh, married couple in the United States, John and Ann, better. It's 83 years, imagine, they were married 83 years, or they still are, I guess. It was just, this was just in September, I guess. I checked it out. Um, I mean, amazing witnesses to us. So I just wanted to give you guys a little glimpse into why the church teaches what it teaches regarding marriage. Marriage is, again, an outward sign to reveal heaven on earth through our masculinity and femininity. And our complementarity as male and female enables us to become one as Christ and the church have become one. From the time of eternity, this plan has been stamped into you and I. And the church protects marriage for that reason. And our culture, obviously, there's a lot of confusion out in the world today about what is marriage, what is love. There's a lot of confusion. But for us as Catholics, for us as Christians, love and marriage has everything to do with imaging the love of Christ in the church on earth, which is heaven on earth. Because God never intended heaven and earth to be divorced. Sin is what separated heaven and earth. Grace restores heaven and earth. But grace leads souls that will say yes. Grace perfects my masculinity. Grace perfects, ladies, your femininity. So we could sing the song of God through our bodies and praise Him with all the heavens, angels, and saints, crying, holy, holy, holy. So next time you're in Mass, think about that. And Jesus, as I said, every time you look at that crucifix, I love the crucifix in our, our 90s Like that church, our crucifix, so powerful. So think about this. This is the wedding vows of Jesus in the flesh, right here. And, it's, and I know there's, I'm sure there's people in here that have suffered from divorce and suffered from, you know, hurts and pains. But I want everyone to know here, like, God is, God doesn't give up on you because you might feel like, well, I've never, I haven't done that. I've, I messed up. I feel, that's why I had to be as a lot. It's like, I'm this and that. So, you, so you, you can hear there could be a spirit of condemnation that could come in. Let's say some of you in here suffer from divorce, okay? Uh, the enemy can come right in and you could hear this stuff and go, wow, that's so beautiful. But you're afraid to hear it, or you're maybe thinking, I didn't do that. I messed up, or somebody hurt me and I had to get away, or whatever. And there's so many other reasons. But my point is, is, I want you to know that God loves you, He has a plan for you, and that He's calling all of you to communion with Him. <laughs> And Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) I think of myself that all the time. What am I doing? Do I even know what I'm doing sometimes? Some of the times you say things and they're like, why do I say that? Why do I do that? So Jesus says to you and I, I forgive you. I know you don't always know what you're doing. But I'm here to say, God's saying yes to you. Will you say yes to him? he's inviting all of us tonight to recommit ourselves to him and to start fresh wherever we're at, whether we've suffered from a separation or a divorce or whether we're married right now and happily married or whether we're struggling a lot in our marriage. And my prayer is just that everybody here will see um, this night as an opportunity to maybe have your your vision corrected a bit and say, wow, I didn't know my body was so amazing. And so one thing I'd like you guys to do in your prayer this week is one, check out the commercials Observe the advertisements, and number two, and that—that that the reason I tell you that is I want you to see the desire they're appealing to, and number two, I want you to ask yourself and ask God, Lord, teach me what it means to be a man, and ladies, teach me what it means to be a woman, because you can't ask a better prayer. Lord, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And uh, just one closing thought: as. Our sexuality goes, namely male and female, so will go marriage. As marriage goes, so will go our families. As our families go, so will go the world. So if you want to know what's going on in the world, look at the family. If you want to know what's going on in the family, look at marriage. You want to know what's going on in marriage, look at our sexuality. So if you're an enemy of God, where are you going to attack? Distort male and female. Attack the the, the meaning of what it means to be man and woman. Destroy it, totally eliminate the the differences between the man and woman. And I look at our culture and you see this attack on the beauty of the human person and the masculinity and femininity. Attack on sexuality leads to distortions in marriage, leads to distortions in the family, leads to a world that's so broken. So how do we restore the world through family? How do we restore the family through marriage? How do we restore marriage through a healthy understanding of what it means to be man and what it means to be woman? And this is what we are all about in this church, his church. We're all called to this restoration and healing. This is healing. We're talking about healing. So make that your prayer. Lord, teach me what it means to be a man. Ladies, teach me what it means to be a woman, okay?